I'd like to welcome you all to Merns Writers Doric Podcast and to this annual celebration of Northeast language and culture that is across the grain. Merns Writers is a writing group based in the Merns area, and this is our third podcast. We write in a mixture of styles, and of course, we don't all write in Doric. Even I occasionally write in English. That's the beauty of being Scots. We have a choice that extends enormously if it's available to us as writers, based on the shared roots of English and the difference that is Scots. But fit we're here today is to rejoice in that difference in our shared heritage of the Doric language. Whether you're for skate or foggy loan, kiak or krichy, the blue tune or steen hive, whether you're fisher folk or firm folk, a tunzer or an inaboot are looking for a wee bit of culture, I'm sure you'll find something to enjoy in the mixture of stories and poems we've got for you. There's some that are lyrical, some that are sad, some that are nostalgic, some that are about our present fears. There's a wee bit of satire, a sprinkling of childhood memory, and a fair bit of fun. More than anything else, I hope you'll share our joy in using the language itself. It's grammar with naughty intricacies. It's rhythms that can be as rough and powerful or as calm, as infinitely variable as the sea that surrounds us. Its expression is earthily real as its soil. And above all, the sharpness, the precision, the dry, redactive wit of its biordinarily rich vocabulary. Just think such words as funert, smoren with a cal, plated through dubs, dovert, muchy brun, wheel hapet, horny golechs. My mother I used to ask folk, Fast folk are e. If you enjoy hearing Doric, you'll enjoy this podcast and the arena we're in, folk. Our first reader is Susan Miller. Yavin's Yala. Fit colour would you pint with a northeast nuke? I'd pint it, Yavin's Yala. Bales bigger to side wind palings. Barley drying to fill bleating stills. Sanded landy tracks cut in a glen. Fouled shorelines pech and sigh. Weirin' a wapirsteens as licht blinks and lifts a backine leaves. It's nae mere mochi bruno a plued park. Farmers midden beats. Hesht hens and shoon posts. Like chap at sea stacks, seaweed hushled like thran heather, hudden faced, erut aroon. I'd ging for sheet iron grey. Have you seen a swalt sea, rock our rock and shingle, burlin heron, screechin scurries a bean castle turrets lean, facelifts for trafficked roads or graniteed city regeneration, the ancient Utboy. Files its dingin doon green, ferns dreepin on bray sides, woody's breath most, lang mowed fairways, springers feedin' a land, filest isle seed rape, ripens aneath muckle furlin wings, 
her own shore wave. It has to be fisher blue, like a tune in the gators, projecting and protecting, licht and graft, nae sitting saft, but hands at thole, cane sail, sat faces at carwin, ging weet, gable feet, thirled, a hilly's hood, oor north-east colours. Thanks, Susan. Those gators were called muggins, hence the name Blue Mugginer. Yavin's Yala. I love the sibilant sounds in that poem, and it's all about colour. What started you thinking about that? During Across the Grains 2020 Virtual Festival, residents were asked, if you were to think of Aberdeenshire as a colour, what colour would it be? This got me thinking of the Shire from coast to farm to hill. So during that weekend of being immersed in northeast sound, film, poetry and conversation, I wrote this piece. It's certainly a lovely piece. And fit your next poem called Susan. Fits fleeing about far in October. Fits fleeing about far in October. Pink-footed geese, you say. Fumoni. Forty thousand. Awa. Farfay. Greenland. Mechty. What else is fleeing about in October? Jukes, you say. Nay forty thousand in awe. More than a buckle, though. Fitzatin with a pinty tail. A pin tail. And at Burich with a shovel moose. Shovelers. Well, nay muckle imaginings there. Fitzat, fleeing about out yonder. Whooper swans, you say? For Iceland, to Grimmond, are the wise. <gasps> a wee fechty, by the wa for my woman. Same the world hour. Fitz fleeing about a hen air. Tree sparrows, you say. Scarce, are they? And not we crater for by. A merlin, bird of prey. Mere like mate to you I'd say. So that's fits fleeing about far in October. You would hardly credit it. Ah, then, in our wee nuke, fit out in a boot, flocking to our June loch. Feel? Nah. Sound. That's a great speaking voice in that piece. It was flaying about in your head when you wrote it. One autumn visit, Lock of Strathbeg sighting board had a gift of a phrase written on it, which made me smile and wonder what I could do with it. After a bit of RSPB research and a local northeast voice, this poem came about. Now that's grand, Susan. A fine start to proceedings. 
Our next reader is Elaine Lawson with her poem A Mother's Plea. Far ye gone, my bonny wee quine, far ye gone did we run out of time. But happened to your tiny wee face, but why are you no longer in this place? I let you doon, it's my defeat. I lost your heart, you hid me beat. Come on home to your mother, I don't want to watch you suffer. Only debt atween us is paid. Come home, my love, come home and bide. There's a powerful ballad feel to that, Elaine. It describes what mothers have always been faced with, I do in the years. But has it a personal basis for you? A mother's plea are the words that have remained in my heart for many years. My teen daughter, now grown with a child of her own, never knew the vulnerability I felt in our relationship. The need to keep her safe, challenged by the wild explorations of her own identity. And what's your next piece now, Elaine? Threatening Ian. We were all sitting in the living room, just finished our tea, and I want to watch a telly. There was a knock at the door, official like, firm puckle of fair dunce. My mother got up to answer it, and my dad had stood up. When she came back to the living room, I could see her in staring right at me. I kint I was in trouble. I kint I'd done something wrong. Her face changed. So did her voice. She was speaking posh like. Do come in, officer, and tuck a seat. Two bobbies came in and sat down. I noticed they had their hats off. Victor, a lad I and bother, told me that bobbies can't arrest you if they hae their hats off. But maybe they could if they put them back on. Only why, fitted a dean. Nothing. I hadn't even gnut that wick. So, Mrs Lawson. We're afraid to tell you your daughter has been graffiti in the was ruin at the high rises. You could tell he was trying to spick posh and off, but I can't he was bound to be for somewhere like Maastricht or Logie, just like my mother he'd fan doing through. It wasn't me, ma the glare again. I can't to shut my face. I was getting it. Neither knew, but definitely getting it. Officer, if she was out graffitiing, I can only apologise. She is a scamp and I do try to keep her in line. I'll make her clean it off. She looked right at me again and said, You will be cleaning it off. Your doll took your own after this. I was about to speak again, but fear crept at our mouth. Mama showed the bobbies out and came back to the room greeting. It wasn't a sad greeting. She was raging. The shame of it, she said. Directed at Madame, near looking at me. She started telling him how the neighbours will be speaking about us. I'm black affronted. Following a ten minute rant with a load of veiled threats, mostly delivered aside her mood, she told Madame to tap me into the skysers and get it all cleaned off. Madame said, It's skiting doon. Let a bear and wait till the morn, and I'll get up and early and I'll go round wear. But she was hating me know it. So we got on our jackets and headed off with a pail of cleaning stuff she'd packed us up. It was only round the corner, but we were getting soaked. It was only at this time I was able to speak up. Da, it wasn't me, and I've no idea if Abby's done on about. 
Kenty believed me. He said, if we went back too soon, I'd mad Ken would need to me, and he'd get it now. We were soaking by the time we got her, but we could still mark out the colour streaking down the walls. Is that Chuck? shouted my dad, half laughing. Looks like it, I said, and wiped it off a bit with my sleeve. Feed you not for You'll give your mum your washing. She'll no be pleased. Evidence. Omni talking the blame. I turned about with no intention of cleaning it off. When we got back home, my ma was annoyed at a mess with us. My dad was quick to tell her she'd sent a suit to clean the chalk off his skysers when it was pishing down. His mood had changed rapidly. It's gone on. My sister just appeared again, soaked and all. You wouldn't believe it if I tell you your sister's only gone and shamed us all by pinting up the skysers, graffitiing it and getting caught. The bobbies were ruined. Somebody reported her. It wasn't me, and it was Chuck. Look at my sleeve. Mama did look at my sleeve, and she was nae best pleased. As I summon with you. Then my sister piped up. Ma, didn't I get mad with her? It was just Chuck. It'll wash her off, off over the night. Oh, and it wasn't her. It was me. That's a grand wee story, Elaine. I really like the idea that the Bobby couldn't do anything if he took his cap off. An insight into growing up in Everdeen. Fit brought it on. Was something had happened to you? Threatening Ian is based loosely on real events and incorporated my own relationships, but also the characters of mother, father and child played out in many a home of my peers. I grew up in the 70s and 80s in working class communities where your dignity and familial pride were paramount to membership and acceptance. Thanks, Elaine. You know, the distinctive feature of Doric is that it's a different for place to place, or the northeast. The YI speaks Fisher, seeing as I'm for better head, and fit we've been so far as country Doric for Susan, and new ads Toonser for Elaine. Here's another Toonser where poem his. Sandy Ingalls. It's about a subject that appeals to me with my Fisher background. Tell us a bit about it, Sandy. This poem was written about a friend of mine who'd been a fisherman most of his life, but been to sea nearly all his life. It's called Retirement. Retirement. Then I grow all he grumbles. It fairly tucks some tholin. I've been to sea near army days and news my final mooring. Name your rising to catch a tide, but then he looks me longing. I'll name miss the gales a wind that blew, but oh, them bonny mornings. Afore the dawn, around you'd see the lichts of other boats. So fun you hauled you to mine and they read up with her floats. He kent the sea, he kent the marks, he kent his body fine. And I he kept a withery for fun to shut the line. An early start to work a line from fishing the shawled water. Hooks laid out, so fun their shot, the dinner mark a sorter. Then, hauling back along a line, a fish on every tipping. You'll nae see six like that a day, no matter far you're fishing. You could walk across a harbour from pier to Ilka pier, 
on boys lying streak to streak and ranking tier on tier. But the days are by when fleets of boats could work the fishing guns. And he shakes his head as if to say, that'll never mere return. The shawled water in the hurst where the guns for fish was caught, and the eye was enough a rivalry to land the biggest shot. He kent all the marks of thirty miles and all the broken ground. He'd fish for others with him and stole land a puckle crown. The beta lined the wifey's rose wailed afore the dawn. Twelve hunter hooks, an ilk a line and a line for every man. Raiding, shallin', baiting, the women played their part. He tippin' laid wood bony, ilk a skull a work of art. He'll speak to Ard to lend an ear about his years out fishing. But for he speaks, he marks more sense the name of the Queen's a learning. He'll tell a tale that pleases with the sea and her guises. And about the fishing for a living, the harsnocks and its prizes. You tack your bounty for the sea, but she doesn't give it easy. And if she can, she'll tack her dew and hug you in her bosie. If you dinna watch out for her moods, she'll catch you drecht bad, and that black curse was bidden the fate of mony a fishing lad. Now it's me who'll stroll the pier, and mind on record catches, and argue with the cronies, for made the biggest landings. We'll sit and yarn and watch the boats plowing up the water, and do for all my neighbours do, and set the world to order. I recognise that. I can mind when you could walk right across Peterhead Harbour or the decks of boats. Fetch your next piece, God Sandy, and tell us something about it. This next poem, called Hunger, is about a visitor to the shore. Hunger. Lazy ruined stains, hard rocked with ears of cannon, gear a bit as I start doing off the tappet doggy sword. Gusty wafts let see by the canoe to the grunneb, snock it like a tyke, hud my back for gone, doon till the good gang and I moving sot bree. Things smelt we hecht of sustenance and meal teeth. We book it, but swark and yawled, feasin, chuckin, windin around boulders and weeds. Holy and fairly stop it. By upsteering tilly smells, I visit that one come to the water is trig, ilk a holy cleft and rivik is look at that. Parts learned over the years and I mind it. A small part and tin apart, just a bypet gollop down, a four moving forward down the foreland. It shall rife to bits and left atop a weed hop at rock. Is tint of a passage. Slithering easily atween air and water, Antrin sharks through thousands of peaty drops, glinting in the moonlight, afore a hut gone, stocking for mere sprech. Sign interlu, ut gone flowing, scushing water a duke, burling, swirling, twirling, looking for a fishy to feed my hunger and kittens biding on the sands at the head of the foreman. Some fine Doric language in that poem. Wheel hap at rocks. 
sma part and tina part. Nature reading tooth and class, Andy. Thanks. Now, we've another poem, this time for Nicola Fury Murphy. And for that card, Nicola. Stop it, foo. The first I kent that they were there was when a nippet out for logs. The lichties shone sleety flecks on yalla een dancing in the pitch. The tyke fair barket, sunty's deer rising in the blind drift, tearing along the dyke. I drew back the blinds, and in the reedest o' morns, there they were, sheep awai. A flock gazing up, ain black, nae shepherds, nothing of a like yon pintin laird. Stannin' in the glaikit carl, nae winter sun high enough to peep o'er the bray and warm the beasties. Mine they were easy fleggit, than mac burst out, fair stottin' into the dark hail. Inly a thochty a twine, Rived the frosted stock so splintered jade for the stibbled grun, like celery in a bloody mary, drook it and daubed in dubs, fires the blackie new. Are the hill yowies with a crooked horn glow with tints of evening sun? I screeve my guid yill cairds. Alain in bed, I hear a cough, and canna sleep for bleatin'. Fires the inn, fires the magi, awa in and bide. Next morn a manny diddles up and coups steaming silage into the feeder ring. Hingin and dreep it, the sheep gather roon, king of the castle, ay sir, nay sir, three bags foo. Hogmanay gops bricht, the weary sna folds us together. The air a solemn stillness holds. Scunnert, blacky gangs are the line. Stap it foo o' the riches that the near day brung in. I like a way you've linked it the season. There's a lot going on in there. Yalla een dancing in a pitch. I love that phrase, druk it and dabbed and dubs. Who did this poem come about, Nicola? This poem, Stap It Foo, was written at the tail end of 2020 when the weather was really poor and I was looking out my window. The sheep uh, were in the field looking pretty miserable and uh, I admired their great endurance. Thank you for that, Nicola. Now, just to show we're nae narrow-minded, we can continue the seasonal theme with a guest appearance when in a bootcomer for Dundee while grace our celebration of Doric. Our next reader is Gloria Potter. Abedi gives you money when you've nae teeth, so smile! Gran poked me in the arm hard. I set my mouth in a straight tight line. I was a thron bairn. She turned to my brother. Frank the cowboy, courtesy of the Christmas Provy check. Look at your brother, he's awfully fine turned out. At four, a year younger than me, he still had all his teeth. 
he had a real gun that shot caps. Frank fingered the gun nervously under Grant's steely gaze. Don't you shoot in my house. He only heard the last couple of words. Bang. Oh, he shot the carpet. She gave him a clip round the cowboy hat. What did I say? Nay shooting in the house. Bang. Oh, another hole in the smouldering carpet. S smiled toothlessly. Give me that gun off you, and you stop smiling when you've nae teeth. Hand me that soddy siphon. She gave us both a clout to avert further stampedes or house fires and sprinkled the carpet with the soddy. Here's a tin of pledge each. You pledge the big room, senior laughing, and he can polish the wee room, seen he's a wee cowboy. I said, there was always a price for laughing. Gran, what do we do with the polish? Gran's dander was up. You polish Athen, Athen in the room. Athen, understood. Emma went to the kitchen to get things ready for the night. I knew that she would have a quart of gin in there, but she would put it in a china cup, as it was still daylicht. As I polished Athen, I reviewed my situation and thought o oh, a boring party. But I could I was smile as a commercial project and run away to London we are the money for many teeth. I had always thought that I was mixed up with another bairn at birth and my real family would be in London, off the upper crust. I took my spite out on the polishing and finished it off a quick. I went into the wee room to see how my wee brother was doing. The room was thick with polish fumes. He was laying on the flare, scooting the spray up into the air. A thin coat and a polish foam covered Athen. What are you doing? I cried, horrified. I'm no polishing anything until I get my gun back off a gran. He sprayed vehemently. <gasps> I ran into the kitchen. Gran had fell asleep due to the gin. I raked in her peeny pocket to get the gun ran back to the wee room and gave my wee brother his gun. We both finished the polishing and sat half a quiet in the big room till Gran woke up. She had forgot about the gun. Later that night, the Christmas party was in full swing. Auntie May stamping her feet and jingling her charm bracelet, singing her song about the Indian maiden. Dad was in summer time when the living was awfully easy and my gran sitting prudely in her chair in the big room where I had polished Athen. Athen. I watched smiling but said nothing as she took an apple from the bowl on the big room table and bit into the awfully awfully shiny apple. Just as that my wee brother gave it another shot for the gun. My dad took a dive onto the flare. Even I was impressed by his pretend death. His stage whisper, Ma, the flare's are wheat. 
made everybody laugh, even my gran. Ah, but my gran suddenly remembered about the gun and forgot about the affy shiny apple as she gave my brother's hat another dunt. I smiled and my auntie may gied me half a croon. Enough for a passage on the fifey. It was a good Christmas birthday after ah. I've always thought that the way they speak in Dundee is right at the start of a line that marks the difference between southern Scots and the way we speak up here. I love the idea again somebody a clapper in the cowboy hat, Gloria. How did you come to write it? We always had Christmas parties and New Year parties up at my grand's. And why did I write this one? Because it was true. Well, most of it's true. Maybe just a wee bit of overemphasis on some bits. But there was definitely the polish and the shiny apple. And who could forget my Auntie May's rendition of the Indian Maiden? She had her own orchestra made up of her bracelets. And my dad was often falling asleep and then suddenly waking up and doing something daft in a Christmas party. <laughs> um, the, I should say the Fifey is the wee ferry that used to go from Dundee to Tayport. Or was it Newport? I am um, across the Tay, and at that time, that was the way to the south. So I think um, that's probably enough explanation of it. But it <laughs> every Christmas was a great laugh, anyway. It's certainly a great story, Gloria. Thank you. And now, right round halfway around the year for Christmas, the hot summer's day. With another story, this time from Elaine Morrison. St Mark's Fleas. I'm sitting aside the garden table looking at a deep beastie. A bitty, oh, you know, anyway. It's the o'erturned Hinnereno St Mark's Flea. It has a squinner, lozenge shappet, skyry black body, with twa stilpert shanks stucking in the air. I shank a four and in at the back. The backing put it as if suspended in motion. I guess it's been drapped by a sterling. The lave of its body parts sprint away o'er the garden. For a few weeks by gain, you couldn't move for yon fleas. I'd nae seen him afore. Ten years past biding in the west coast of Scotland, the only beasties you think about are midges. But here in the east I knew they are away. The St Mark's flea is cad at because it appears for Nawai around about St Mark's Day, the 25th of April, the Gabs of May. His fancy name is Bibi O'Marcy, but I prefer his other name, the Hathorn flea. I like Havases. Their stubby stems, ticked curly leaves, frothy and fight flower heads, afore the skyry chocolate brun reed has. St Mark. There's a bonny granite kirk cried after him in Aberdeen, Doric pillars and ah, but I prefer the natural to the saintly. It's nae the habasses the gathered on my garden though. The muckle peeries with its creamy pink bell shappet flowers was the star attraction. They didn't ignore the flooring current, son afore the feather, or the sea buckthorn, 
faith flourishing, but they can guide for the Peary's. You cannot ignore them at their maist truth. There were Nineveh sent all a sudden a burachy a hackney cab black gollochs, a run about a centimetre lang, with near invisible wings and lang spinal tams, just hanging a blow their bodies, would appear. You wouldn't see anything else for the clothes of fleas until the sterlings come on about to grab at the fine tasted beasties. The smarachs would appear for a minute or two. Canty sterlings happen around with a set of gollock leggies hanging out their nebs was an entertaining sicht. Fells you'd be scuttering around, as you do in a garden, and a hawthorn flea faz for the sky and licks in your arm or shudder with a dirt, like it with a para, fas kit had stick it. It would just re sign afore receiving a gentle wheek with the back of your hand to pit it on its way. I mind my mother I spoke about the gabs of my. Some great phrases in there. There were Nineva, and suddenly there's a great burach, a hackney cab, black gollocks. And I like the sterlings with their legs hanging out their nebs. So what was the occasion of this piece, Elaine? I wrote this piece because I was just so taken by the St Mark's flies, an insect I genuinely had never come across before uh, last spring, and they were sort of just absolutely everywhere in my garden. Originally, I wrote it in English, uh, which is how I how I write you know, normally. Uh, I'm not a native Doric speaker, as you can probably tell from my accent. Um, but I wanted to explore the ways in which you can use Scots and Doric in particular as an expressive form in nature writing. Um, you know that you know there's there's plenty of fabulous work out there um, in terms of poetry and uh, fiction, prose, um, but to write about the nature of this part of the world using our own language is something that I'm really interested in pursuing. And this is just me dipping my toe in the water to see if it's something that I can that I can do. And uh, I'm encouraged to kind of keep going and uh, try and do more of it in the future. It's certainly wheel our set into Lodurek. I think I can hear a bit of a northeast twang in your voice. I'd say your toys will dip it into the water. Mine, I'm fascinated by what you say about wanting to ease Doric to express what's run about us. I feel, and I've I felt, messianic about maintaining Doric as a viable way of expressing ourselves. McDermott spoke in so the Scots had the advantage of a language of the head and a language of the heart. It gives us such variety and power in our ability to express ourselves, but it needs to be maintained, needs to be capable of change and of dealing with change, needs to be a living tongue, and if it's to be a living tongue, folk need to use it. I'm delighted that Inaboot becomers want to try their hand in Doric. It's proof of its vitality. And our next reader is John Wiggum Shart, and he's got salient things to say about that topic too. John. My first experience of Doric came from working alongside mill workers in Gurdon. The roar of heavy machinery and ear defenders meant there was a fair amount of mime involved, but bricks were different, with much good-natured humour and Doric banter. 
The warmth and kindness of local farm folk and fisher folk at different points in my life opened a door into another language which naturally lends itself to poetry, ballad, song and humour. Over the years, as a member of Men's Writers, I have been supported and encouraged to write and publish poetry in Doric. I'm still very much a learner, as it's not my first language, but it is my preferred language for writing poetry, with its musicality, lyricism, wry humour and rich expression. Musicality, lyricism, wry humour and rich expression. Aye, that sums up Durek for me. Let's hear your poems, John. Creel men. Creel men line the harbour war like scruffy scurrers in their scuttlers. Weather-beaten old tars, him for the ma, passing round the woodies and sparking up with cupid hands against the wind. Rocky men. For once sailed to the brink of the known world, through terrible storms and mountainous seas. Fechty men, patrolled for silly darlings, knew their small cobbles screve on small water. For blackfish, fiery tongues, and lobster around the fairing, to eke out their means on death row. And your next poem is, John? Lamin Snars Lamin Snars, born o' a lion storm On an ill-kinded night and an ill-kinded moon Never mere ill-kinded i' the highlands Black night, wild wi' slag Yows buried in the snow Bleating into the storm Stuart through come the herd his wifey, a cuthic wine, a traveller's daughter, angel unawares, louses a ratchet beast, cartridge on a barbed wire fence, sign in the sheddy, lying aside a yow, she pushing her hand into the tight white birth canal, and come upon the hooves. O lamb, and drew them slaw, feeling for the head, hairing and twisting, till the shiny crater streamed forth, trailing cleansing, skinny and shelpit, born on the firm. Knew she reached the fire, and burstled her hands on the blaze, as the wind scuttled the roof. At the spirit's whim. You can, I think it's a fair measure of the value of a language if there's folk willing not only to learn food to speak it, but even to try their hand at writing in it. Our next reader is Morag Hill, with a few poems that I hope you find as funny as I do. Fits the story behind this first in Morag. This little verse came about after I'd reached a certain age which entitled me to lots of free offers. Needless to say, the sentiment expressed here 
didn't take long. Foot like. I have to ging doon to the gym again, to the lonely gym, for why? It's all my bits are hanging out, enough to make you cry. I have to ging doon to the gym again, in my neon leotard, to fight the flab and turn the soft to something unco hard. I have to ging doon to the gym again, to hear a wee bit flex. My glutes and abs are awfully sad, but you should see my pecs. I have to ging doon to the gym again, like Arnie Schwartz and Fitzit. He's all his eggs and protein mix, but I'll hae cake and biscuits. I have to ging doon to the gym again, but it gaze again my will, cycling miles to gang and ay and running standing still. Fit why am I doing at the gym again? The answer's plain to see. The council gave me a senior card, and ah, this hell is free. I must go down to the gym again. I wonder if John Maysfield would make of that. I must say I agree with you, I that keep fit stuff's enough a scunner. Now, what's your next piece now, Morag? Upkilton was written in response to various news items about upskirting. I've never had the inclination to go upkilting much. Upkilting. My name's Wee Jeannie, but I'm nae that sma. I've got a new hobby and they say it's bra. But I'll get in trouble if you tell my ma I'm a wa to gang up kilton. Aberdeen toon where the sun doesn't shine, the granite's hard and the buttery's fine. But there's nae a kilt and a lunar a quine, nae a cord for gang up kilton. So off again to the isle o' sky, the wind blows low and the wind blows high. I'm up the coolins, we kilts are why. It's grand to be up kilton. Wit luck, a pipe band up the mound. Nae much to see, but fit a sound. Their swinging tackle, I'll be bound. It's capital up kilting. No seeking out the best of barras. Ken, it's nae Jean-Paul Gaultier Paris. Nae briefs or boxers, thongs and barras. Glasgow's fine up kilting. The polis said it could be worse. The selfie stick is sick a curse. I didn't ken he was hung like a horse. In jail, there's nae up kilting. Did I hear a wee whispered not much at the end of your introduction there, Morag? It's a fine poem, anyway. Now, what's your last one about? The Minster's organ is loosely based on a real minister and his goings-on, but you'd never know who it was. The Minster's organ. There was a minster fair tune, his heart was spilet rotten. A congregation bra he hid, but nane could play his organ. He gaed abroad to other tunes, and hid a fine like surgeon, to seek a body fair or false, wad play his muckle organ. He gaed to fruhy bamf and dice, and bid them a good morning. His only chill fae hereaboots a fancy fair my organ. He seek it here, he seek it there, a Cuban or a Roman, but nane for either Ben nor Glen would play the Minster's organ. He hid a vision, said a prayer, and placed an ad in London, 
no matter plumen, king or queen, if they would play his organ. I'll give you poons, I'll give you mare, I'll give you sick a payment. Nay bagpipes, piano, flute or herp, fit dees it is the organ. Sign, in a boot there came a lass, we bathe stops out a pointing. Well, wichty me, the minster says. Says she, my name is Jordan. Maquine, nae bach or nor pachabel, my need is inspiration. So sit ye doon and play a tune, and here's my rusty organ. The last sat doon afternoon, we minster in communion. I didn't ken for I went on, but music was in union. The minster's wife come in a fash, a purple-headed gorgon. That bint will nae play in the kirk. Ye'll dee we are recorded. I'll guarantee that folk are o'er the merns right now will be making guesses as to far that minister might have been. Thank you for giving us some fun, Morag. Now, that near about winds up our wee podcast. We'll finish with a couple of pieces by me. The first a poem based on an incident, oh, when I was a boy. I was there at my pals looking over the parapet of the North Pier at Peterhead on a stormy day. Found myself staring right over the parapet, peering over it, staring at this enormous wave coming right at me. It stayed in my head on my life as an image. And it's kind of got tied up in my head with other things in this last year. The poem's called Swithering. Swithering. You'll ken it, will in you. Black nachts you peer out for the pier it sees you canna see. But here at Roar it's here and now. There bracks a curlin spitting wave. A spite and froth and brackish words new repet for the blendreft thickness of that empty rage that sinks its teeth until your heart. You'll can't. You've aye been weel quint. Sign, there's the wave it comes recht o'er the war. The wave it kens a place far you'll be curried. Hunkered o'er yourself, or fear your teen clean off, until the row and swall a blow, for fankled water sweels and smacks its dunton rack. To fame, it sclites o'er near, as near as max you winner. Is this in coming, or the neist? And I'll finish with a daft piece of mine. A number of years ago, the caretaker where I was working at the time came back for a funeral he'd been at in the morning at Crathus. And oh, he couldn't stop raving about what a wonderful crematorium it was, the decor, the shrubbery outside, the furniture was wonderful. It was so bonny, he said, and I was really taken by his enthusiasm and a bit amused for such an unlikely thing. And so I wrote this wee jokey poem, and my apologies for the pun at the end. Baldarach. For them it tucks an ugsome grew, for like as nae begart the spug, and they were buried in the ground, for creepy crawlies squirm and run. The share a box were worm and gollach, and spiders twice the size of molach, 
for folk could swear to get as full as they would get if laird and mole. For them nae sicken to be planted, the when I find their wishes scanted, he nae fear, the Lord be thanked. The when I need an earthy blanket, for a' they folk, there's countless honours, fat are nae fear to end up shunners. They have nae need to be so solemn, Baldarach's just a place for them. So mind this handy apothem, Crathis is just the creme de la creme. That's nearly us. I'm always reminded of loony tunes when finishing things like this. In my head I can see Bugs Bunny or Foghorn Leghorn, and there's a wee circle run about my head as I'm speaking to you. I'd like to finish by thanking the members of Merns Writers for responding to me bullying them into getting things ready for this podcast. I'd thank Jackie Caroon of Live Life Aberdeenshire for asking us back to participate in Across the Grain, and indeed all those folk at Live Life Aberdeenshire who are doing so much to promote the Doric language and culture. I'd particularly like to thank Alan Craig and Gregor McMurtry of Friends Eclectic Productions for doing all the hard work of putting this podcast together. Mainly though, I'd like to thank those of you who've come along to listen to us. I hope you've enjoyed it. In normal times, Merns writers meet twice weekly at Stonehaven and in Verberve, and currently we're meeting weekly by Zoom. A recent anthology, Grey Granite Red Earth, is available. If you want to check out our other podcasts, or if you're seeking any more information about Merns writers, you'll find the addresses of our website and Facebook page online. Just Google Merns Writers. Mern's Voices is a Friends Eclectic production. Be sure to follow us. That's all folks.